Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Turns out that that title race that was done and dusted might not be quite as done and dusted as previously thought. Two points lost at Southampton has perhaps opened the door a little bit to Liverpool. They'll be as close as six points behind if they win their game in hand and still have to play City later this season. Suddenly it feels like we're sitting a lot less comfortably at the top of the table. But let me put you at ease a little bit. Saturday's draw at St Mary's is the first time that City have dropped any points since the end of October, just under three months ago. So welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we'll be analysing what happened on the South coast, starting with one interesting question. Are City getting better at recovering from a bad start? After half an hour in that game, we all thought it was going to be one of them days, but by the end, we all felt that Pep Guardiola's side should have come away winners. And also on today's show, we'll be speaking to the former City forward Chris Shuka about his time coming through the academy and into the first team under Kevin Keegan. And we'll also be looking at January transfers of years gone by too, as this season's window comes to a close. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got two City fans in the shape of Adam Keyworth. Hello. And Howard Hawking. Hello. Howard, uh, before we before we kick off, um, I just want to say uh, congratulations on the, the 9320 12-hour um, podcast. You must be exhausted. So why on earth you agreed to come on this show like the same week? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just the amazing bonus system that you offer for this show, for people that come on. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's weird because it, it actually focuses you during the time you're doing it. And I even there was pre-recorded stuff, uh, which obviously helps, but I couldn't leave my computer in it because I had this have this total fear that it might just shut down at any point. So I still <laughs> couldn't go anywhere. But doing a bit of the stuff beforehand does take the the, uh, the, edge the pressure off. off. And there were loads, so many from the City community, including yourself, of course. And we're putting the quiz up. <laughs> the quiz will be up by the end of this week. Good, uh, good. <laughs> from that day. So many people chipped in that really, yeah, it it was amazingly almost a breeze, <laughs> if that's possible for a 12-hour broadcast. But yeah, it went really well. So Excellent. It was all, for, it was all for the Man City fans' food bank. How much, uh, do you know how much he raised in the end? It was it was I'm, certainly in the thousands, wasn't it? It's gone over 3,000, I yeah. think, from the GoFundMe and about £500, I think, through the YouTube super chats whatever that is <laughs> but you know from the feed on the day so yeah it's gone for three three thousand from the day itself so good I'll keep pushing it for a few more days so. yeah so go and chuck a few a uh, few quid in the in the uh, go for me if you haven't already uh how they'll be online will they all the all the segments are online you said the quiz is going up is the the chat with nedham's going up as well is it yep it's uh up uh, already up, I'll put that one up. Uh, I'll put as much as I can up. But I think the original YouTube video itself is still there. Oh, so, good. So you, you can uh, watch the whole thing. In it. If you've got 12 hours to spare, just... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just dip into the... Uh, it was kindly hosted by City Extra, uh, and it's all on there still if people want to dip in. But it's got little time segments on, so you can find out where stuff is. But I will be putting individual stuff up online on SoundCloud for people to listen to. Good, good. Well, uh, go and catch up on that. But for now, we're going to uh, we're going to focus on uh, City and Southampton. Um, Adam, I said in the intro there that um, I, it felt like it was going to be one of them days for City. And in the end, we all came away thinking that City should have had three points. Um, how much of that feeling and the narrative of that do you think is is set by the fact that City started the first ten minutes a bit slowly and Southampton scored, and that's it? Yeah, um, we were bad, weren't we, in the first half? There's very you can't really get away from it, can you? But um, I thought Southampton were good the way that they pressed. Um, they were quite clever with how they got our kind of wider players and the fullbacks. But as, as you said earlier on, it, it did feel like one of them days until half time. But I think the key to that game was we got in at half time. It was only 1 0. Um, and nothing too badly had gone wrong. Obviously, they had other chances and there was a lot of offside calls and the rest of it, but I wasn't feeling as negative 
as as I usually am when we went into half time at one nil down because I, I think we've shown a bit more about us this season that when we do go a goal behind and especially that early on, had Southampton gone one nil up in the seventieth minute, I might have felt a little bit uh, jitterier. But it, it <laughs> is didn't feel is jitterier too bad. a word? <laughs> it is now. It is now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I didn't feel too bad at half time. Yeah, but How- uh, was disappointed in the end. Yeah, Howard, when you look at um, kind of the, the ebb and flow of the game, it's it's really strange, isn't it, that City start badly and then get better. You kind of tend to feel if City start badly, it goes wrong for 90 minutes. But like you look at Arsenal, okay, red card help there. But you look at Arsenal and Southampton back-to-back in terms of being down at half-time. City came back and, and they took four points from those games. That's good, isn't it? That's 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 That feels like, like progress. Yeah, I mean, there used to be that stat, did they not, that... We use the the point of half time, which doesn't really tell a full story that City hadn't come from behind at half time to win a game, but that's just one moment in a match. I don't know if the coming or just coming back from being behind period was much better anyway. That stat, but I think in the last twelve months they've put that to bed. Uh, I'm going to use muscle memory here, but because some of this is last season, is it not? But I think we came from behind away to Bruce Dortmund. Yeah. PSG, Aston Villa away, we were behind within a minute. I don't think it even sat down when it scored that goal. Newcastle, that crazy Newcastle game, we were behind at some point then. We've done it plenty and plenty of times in the last nine months. You think that this this team has changed a bit somewhat. You really did feel for all the brilliance a couple of years ago that when they did go behind, it, it felt like they didn't know how to act, probably because it was so rare and you don't feel that way anymore. But you, what hasn't changed in a way, I still do feel that you can gauge a match pretty well by the first 10 minutes. And when you can normally tell, like the one in seven or eight matches, within 10 minutes you think, this is going to be a tough match today. It's not going how I thought it would. Yeah, And I'm not sure if the Southampton goal really changes that. I think it was pretty obvious with this one it was going to be a tough game. But I say this team, you do have faith in them that the even if it's tough throughout, that they can still come turn it around and win, even if the performance doesn't improve that much. Yeah, Adam, When in, when in, in terms of performance, uh, were you impressed with how City took control of the game later on? Because there was there was certainly a spell in the second half where you thought, I mean, there's no way Southampton are holding out under this pressure. City were just relentless for a good 20-minute spell or so. Or equally, from, from, like, like from that bad start, because of that control that they got, does it feel a bit like a missed opportunity? I think in the end it felt like a missed opportunity, but I was impressed from probably just straight after half time, wasn't it? Um, we seemed to change things. We we had a bit more pace about us, and I think the worst thing about the first half was just the way that we were giving the ball away. It, we were trying to pick out passes that we were never finding a man. It looked like nobody could find Kyle Walker, which was really weird. But um, yeah, I, I really liked the fight, and like Howard said, it's it's starting to feel like when we do go behind, there's enough quality to, to come back and sometimes win the game. And a lot of that is is down to sometimes just a bit of individual brilliance, which we nearly had from De Bruyne again. Um, I was impressed. I did think in the last 10 minutes we should have scored again uh, to win that game. And it was a decent point, but it would have been a really, really good three points. So was a little bit disappointing in the end. I thought there were some really good performances and some pretty, pretty subpar performances. Uh, but like I say, it was it was good to see some of them, especially just bringing us back into the game. Some of the work that De Bruyne got through in that game, it's probably the fittest I've seen in block for a good 12 months, which yeah. was the most promising thing for me. Yeah, you mentioned a point as well. Um, are you a bit nervous now with the way that, that City got a point, Liverpool got three, and the situation now, if they win at the Etihad, is it could be three points behind? Not really. I think it's still it's still in our hands. You'd rather be in our position than Liverpool's. Absolutely, although, yeah, yeah. Although we're good at chasing down things like that. But I would still back us to win more games than any other team in the league this year. We've played the, the bigger teams, in air quotes, uh, away from home. They've got to come to our place knowing that they're going to need a win. And I'd back us. I always think we're better against better teams anyway. Um, and I think one thing that we're missing here is some of the performances from the Southampton team were pretty brilliant. Uh, Salisu, who I've probably seen play twice in my life, has had two of the better 
defensive performances that I've seen. Um, so a point doesn't worry me. Yeah, uh, I don't think it should worry anyone. We're we're still miles clear, really. Um, I mean, it's the first time that Liverpool have gained on us in three months. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, do and you, and you know what? I, I said that during the game. We can't win every game. Yeah. We, it's just not going to happen. You cannot win every single game. There's going to be, and Pep says it all the time, there's going to be games that we lose and we draw and games where we don't play as well. We've just got to suck it up and get on with it. If we have to beat Liverpool, we have to beat Liverpool. We've done it before. so I think it was quite relaxed because it felt like it was coming anyway. Yeah. It had to come at some point, but it's you've got to be you know relaxed about it and say, well, come on, on another day, we wouldn't have got the three points at Arsenal. And yeah. whatever went before it, it was still a late winner. And the Wolves game was nothing special. And there's other games where, you know, you look at them and think, well, on another day, we, yeah, we've, we've just about got over the line there. So eventually, if you don't get over the line, even if you think, well, we could have won this one, then, you know, we've done okay out the last 13 games <laughs> to get 37 points out of those games. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, um, Adam mentioned uh, Howard the uh, that, that Southampton. Uh, there was some individual brilliant performances for Southampton. Um, Phil Foden got a bit of a going over on Sky for not tracking not tracking uh, Carl Walker Peters for for the goal. Um, I'm I'm still wondering though if it, if we should put it in the camp of well, there's not really much you can do about that. It was a great finish. You wouldn't expect him to do that from there. It was his what was his first Premier League goal? Was it so like? You can understand that going in, if you might, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but the pet way is that <laughs> you don't give the opposition a chance. Everyone does their job and they don't have room to have a shot. Uh, I am pretty relaxed. But, I mean, the thing with Phil Foden is it's one of those seasons where he's not, he's not quite got going yet much. I think, obviously, did he not... He got injured for England, did he not, and didn't start yeah. the season. Uh, he's had COVID, am I right in saying that? I think he has. I'm not, I can't remember if it's been reported or not, if he has. So I'm, I'm not sure, yeah. And there's a small disciplinary issue, so he's sat on the bench a bit. And it's not a concern because he's at the point now, Phil Foden, where I know he's going to be world-class. Oh, he is world-class. And it's one of those seasons that has you know, ravaged a lot of clubs, a lot of players. Momentum is difficult and he's just not quite got going. I just think in his prime, yeah. I think when, he, when Pep was being cautious with him early doors it was he often said Pep it's not what he does on the ball it's what he does off the ball and this is perhaps an example of that that Pep himself I'm sure he won't shout at him but we'll be looking at that thinking no to come in this, in this team it's not what you do on the ball as well you've got to be tracking runners like that someone has to be and I'm sure I'm pretty sure it won't happen again yeah. so I mean <laughs> you can go even further back of course and Sterling had, you can't blame Raheem Sterling for the goal for something that happens at the other end of the pitch, but he had an easy chance to put someone, I can't remember who was overlapping. I think, I think it was Kyle Walker. Yeah, at the time. Easy, easy chance to put him in on goal. And so, yeah, you can maybe, I don't know, Laporte or Diaz should have been closer to Walker Peters, but it's a brilliant goal. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you don't, yeah, one of our players doesn't do something right well. They are human beings after all. So. Yeah. Something you said earlier, Adam, as well, kind of uh, ringed a bell with me because um, th- there was this idea that uh, Southampton were really, really pressing City in that, that first half. Then you look after the goal. All of Southampton's threats, there, there, there was a, another goal that was offside. There was a penalty claim that was offside. Uh, in the second half, they had a they had a header that um, Edison did, made a good save from. But then there was, there was a header that hit the post, which was offside. Is that actually just City defending quite well? Um, they've, held, they've, held good, they've held a good line. Yeah, they have. Um, and it would probably be remiss of me to say that it's luck because we know what, what Pep is like. We know what the coaching staff are like at City. They've they've prepared for that. They knew what Brozier was going to do, who, by the way, looks very good. Um, they knew what he was going to bring and he was playing on the last man the entire game. Um, so I don't think you could put it down to luck. I think it is just City defending properly. Um, and do you know what? With Edison, it's, it's, it was a really weird game. He made that good save later on. But I did think he was an offside, well, two offside calls away from having a bit of a stink there. <laughs> because the goal that was offside was terrible keeping. 
And the penalty, whether or not he knew he was offside or not, would have been another classic oh Edison's board moment just don't don't um, I mean don't take that risk oh I know he's offside so I'm just gonna yeah. whack him down no no mate no don't do that yeah so so both of those were like like you say on another day could have gone in a really bad direction but uh, I will put it down to just good defending we, we are a very good defensive unit it doesn't even matter who you put into that um a centre-half pairing really they're, they're just really strong so yeah, it would, it would be very harsh to say, yeah, they just got lucky three times. I doubt it. Yeah. Um, just on the on the other end of the pitch, though, Adam, um, we talked about uh, Sterling not putting in um, Kyle Walker in the first half. There was there was an opportunity where he could have equalised at the, the late in the first half. Why do you think it wasn't working for Sterling in this game? Don't know. For I mean, as good as he's been over the last month, that was as bad as he's been good. It was really, really bad, wasn't it? I mean, the chance that he missed was bad. The missed overlap uh, by Walker twice, by the way. It wasn't just once. He did it again later on. He couldn't find his feet. He he just didn't have what what I really liked about him the last month. He seemed to have a lot of confidence and he was driving at players and he, he you could see him kind of feeling himself and he was he just he every time he got the ball, especially at the home games, you'd get up and you'd think, right, something's coming here which sometimes with Sterling, when he's having a bad day, it's the opposite. He gets the ball and you think, just give it, just pass it, because it's just not happening. And my concern with Sterling is he is very much the football cliche of he is a confidence player, but also when he has a bad game, it it looks really bad. And he does have a a habit of missing every now and then, maybe once a season, missing one of those tappings where all he has to do is just pick out what, 99, one hundredths of the net and it goes in. Um, and when he doesn't, it looks really bad because people are already on his back. And it, the other thing with Pep is, we remember from that Burnley game where he yeah. got t- taken off from it, Pep won't stand for those missed chances. And if Sterling starts missing games again, it throws up the contract thing and it just gets messy. So it was quite hard to watch. Although I'm glad he came off when he did because we looked better, I think, when he came off. Yeah, was it, I was going to ask, Howard, do you think it was simply the input of of Jesus in that second half that changed things for City? Because you, you look at it, was after that that City equalised. There was um, Jesus himself hit the post, De Bruyne hit the post. They were they were really pressing in that second half. Yeah, well, I mean, the change made a difference, obviously. Uh, being hooked, taken off after 55 minutes is <laughs> by Pep Guardiola is damning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's not even an hour on the clock, then he's not happy with you. Uh, you see, we just gave him, should have gone before, but really, Pep don't do half time once, and I guess he might give him 10 minutes to see, you know, if he could turn it around, which fair enough. Yeah, Jesus made a big difference. He was excellent. <clears throat> we looked a lot brighter. The unknown is that perhaps this is what would have happened anyway, because City do have that patience now, do have that. They look at the 90 minutes as a whole. They don't go for the juggler immediately. They can just slowly turn the screw. And it felt like perhaps the second half would have gone that way anyway, irrespective of the personnel on the on the pitch. Couple of, uh, couple of decisions to look over before we finish. Um, Howard De Bruyne wanted a penalty, but the referee and the VAR said no. Uh, the referee said there was no foul, and the VAR said the foul there was a foul, but it was outside the box. Uh, what did you make of that? I've not watched a replay, so you can answer this properly for me. I know the reason I've not watched a replay since is I'm so weary of VAR now that at the time I was watching the match, I was just kind of detached about the decision. It's weird. It's weird. It's like a big, big moment in the match. This is it. This is like we get a penalty, we can go on to win the match. There's not that long left. This could define where we get pretty much nailed down the league title or yeah we've still got a bit of work to do yeah and it's like I'm still there going who knows what they're gonna get I mean I've watched it and it doesn't even matter what I've seen who knows what the referee will do uh, it's a foul it's definitely a foul I know the line counts as a penalty area does it not yeah on, the, thought, on the line it's in the box I always because I've, I've, I know, I've known was, this for years because yeah. the number of referees I've had arguments with when I've picked the ball up on the line and they've given handball and it's not handball it's it, on the line is in the box and I thought when I watched it at the time that it was just on the line but I assume by millimeters it was not yeah 
Um, then Adam in the se- uh, later in the second half, Laporte um, tweeted a, a photo after the game of uh, of his leg after the challenge uh, on the field. The decision was no red card. The VAR stuck by that. Did you agree? Nope, that's a red card. Next, I'm, I mean, we've seen that that tackle be given as a red card for us against us so many times. <clears throat> John Stones against Aston Villa, same tackle, red card. Mm. Um, go all the way back to Paul Scholes on Zabaleta, red card. It's the same tackle. If you if you go studs up in someone's thigh when the ball's gone, it's a red card. It doesn't matter if you think it's soft. It really doesn't matter. If you're going to go down with this clear and obvious thing, it's a clear and obvious error because that's a red card. I, I don't necessarily agree that it should be because like, it can be accidental or whatever, but if you're going to give it nine times out of ten, you can't have that one that you don't give. Yeah, I just so, wonder. Stupid, I just wonder if stupid yeah, tackle. I just wonder if the reason it wasn't given was because the referee had a clear view of it, and so what he said to the VAR is what well, the VAR's seen, and it's like uh, you, you, they're not re-refereeing the game. They've just the VAR might think he's got yeah. the decision wrong, but he's seen it. So what can you do? <laughs> yeah, ridiculous Great. system in that. <laughs> the, um, I mean, there was a couple, weren't there? There was a couple of bad tackles. Well, I was going to ask. The, there was a couple on Grealish, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, every week. <laughs> yeah, the first half was a lot. I think he was angry in the tunnel afterwards as well, wasn't it, about it still? So. Yeah, he was He was waiting for a uh, Romeo in the tunnel, according to uh, the, the Southampton <laughs> you know boss. I, I love that about Grealish. Um, I love that he's got a temper, but he doesn't quite let it bubble over. You can just tell that he's getting wound up. Um, and I'm glad that he waited for him in the tunnel. He, he, if your standing foot is planted there... He's breaking his leg in that tackle. So as a footballer, you'd be absolutely fuming. Yeah, uh, I think as well, we, we haven't mentioned Grealish. I thought he had a really, really good game Yeah, at the Southampton game. I th- thought it was really good. Um, again, but obviously he doesn't, he hasn't been getting goals and assists. So Twitter says it doesn't count. Yeah, narrative narrative, uh, narrative runs away with itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Twitter knows yeah. best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, not always, not always. Um, the January transfer window is open for a few more days. We're expecting City to do absolutely nothing. So in the spirit of nostalgia and with no game to preview this week, we sent Dan Burke on a trip down memory lane to look at some of the standout players who have joined City in the winter window. The new winter transfer window was only open for three days before City made their first signing. Jamel Belmardi joined on loan from Marseille before David Somme arrived from Bordeaux and Robbie Fowler swapped Leeds for Manchester. I thought we were beginning to throw money around that we shouldn't have been the one or two signings that I won't go into specifically, but you'll probably know which ones they were, which I disagreed with strongly and I, and I proved to be right. That's former City chairman David Bernstein speaking to the podcast a few years ago. He's referring to the Fowler transfer. He ended up resigning a few weeks later. In the end, I felt that the strong role I'd been able to play over four or five years was becoming dissipated, and uh, I wasn't happy with it. So I very well, you can imagine how reluctantly, I'm having had a wonderful time with my club that I love so much, to step away wasn't easy, but I wasn't prepared to compromise on things like that. Keegan was still in charge for City's next winter window 12 months later. Now tight on funds, City had a relegation battle on their hands. One of the players brought in to try and keep the club in the Premier League was goalkeeper David James. My first interactions with Kevin Keegan as a manager was the England manager. And um, there's some infamous chuck-out days when it comes to the the full squad and then the selected squad for any major tournament. So in uh, in 2000, the Euros, Kevin Keegan had sort of come into my room and said, you, you knew you weren't going to go blah, 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 and explained to me why I wasn't going. And I sort of, he left the room and I thought, well, if if that's the manager you are, then good luck to you. He spoke to the podcast last season. The situation at West Ham for me had changed. Alan Pardew had taken over as manager and, you know, I think uh, euphemistically, we didn't see eye to eye on a few things. And the fact that Manchester City showed faith in me, the fact that I'd actually worked with Kevin, so I mean, as much as I was disappointed with not being in the squad, um, I'd still work with him and there was there was obviously sides to him which I really, really did admire. And then the opportunity to go to City came about and there it was, yeah, fantastic. He told us he wasn't aware of how much City was struggling that year. That side of things didn't really bother me. As I say, there was more of the fact that I, I understood, well, from my perspective, what Man City were as a football club. You know, there are other teams in the local area which have, and arguably rightfully so because of their success at that time especially, 
You know, there was a sort of different context to what that team was about, whereas Man City was like, a, as I say, uh, a, a proper football club. James isn't the only goalie City have brought in during the winter window. Arnie Arison, an Icelandic goalkeeper, joined with him. And in 2011, Costel Pantilimon made his loan move to City permanent in the January. He told the podcast all about it at the time. It was a great chance for me because City now is a top, uh, top-level team. To have this uh, this choice is uh, is great for uh, my career and uh, I like I like in Manchester. Uh, the only problem I have I don't like the weather. It's incredible rain every time and I know is yeah, but uh, the rest are are okay. In 2009, Mark Hughes signed a goalkeeper in Shea Given. He recently spoke to the Premier League about his move from Newcastle. Making a debut, I think a 33-year-old, and I was nervous because it was like nearly 12 years since my last debut for a club, you know, it was just a bit weird. Given was one of a number of high-profile signings City made that January. This was the first opportunity they'd had to splash the cash after Sheikh Mansour's takeover, and also joining that window was Wayne Bridge, Craig Bellamy and Nigel de Jong. Here's Hughes speaking to the Coach's Voice YouTube channel last year. He explains how the previous summer things have been very different. The Shinawatra era was, was clothed in a little bit of mystery and uh, an intrigue, and never really got to the bottom of why players had to be sold. And we had the situation with Vedran Koluka, who arguably was one of our better players at that time. Uh, he had to be sold because there was no money. There was clearly a lot of turmoil, and, and obviously the the club was taken over by uh, Sheikh Mansour, and then overnight to just change completely as a club. This was the first time where money was no object. That luxury wasn't afforded to managers of years gone by and in 2006, Stuart Pearce's decision to spend six million on Giorgio Samaras meant he'd blow most of his budget. Barton, crossed in, oh! Samaras, though, wasn't a hit at Eastlands. A year later, with City in desperate need of inspiration and a bid to stay in the Premier League, two winter signings proved key. First, in came Michael Ball from PSV Eindhoven. Unfortunately, at PSV, uh, the change of managers, I wasn't really in and around the, the, the squad anymore. So I was looking for, for game time and, and to obviously get back playing football again. And uh, there was a, a few clubs were showing interest to my agent and it was only when Stuart Pearce... Uh, made the call um, to my agent to say, you know, we're ready to take him, get him some game time the rest of the season. And, you know, I jumped at the chance then to get, get back home to the UK and, and uh, you know, basically just get back playing and show everyone what I was capable of. He spoke to the podcast last season and told us he knew City weren't in the best of positions when he arrived. My good friend, uh, and everyone was Richard Dunn, so we always kept in, in contact and when City showed interest, I gave him a text and said, um, I'm jumping on the plane and I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> he was like, why, what's happening? <laughs> and so that was, it was good to obviously get back in the changing room with Richard. Um, and obviously he's been a key player for City. So obviously I've been looking at you know, City's results for many years while Richard's been there and hoping he does well. And uh, to be a part of it was was great. The signing that year that was more influential in front of goal, though, was Emil Penza. He actually signed in February on a free transfer and weirdly isn't the only City player to join in the winter after the deadline had passed. In 2008, Benjani was another one. He'd done well for me in the end. He scored the, he scored the goal at Wigan that kept us up that year and I think that was the only goal he got that season. The following year, he started to bang a few goals in, but he was a, as I say, he was a real worker. Suddenly Sven came on and offered me £9 million for him and uh, it was a fantastic offer. That was then Portsmouth manager Harry Redknapp speaking about the deal. He explains that Benjani didn't want to go. He got to Southampton Airport and missed two planes and eventually I had to drag him on the runway to push him onto a plane and kept telling him what a great move it was to go to Man City. He got here, I think, about 11 o'clock at night. They rushed him. It was transfer deadline night. They rushed into Man to, uh, to the stadium. Somehow, don't ask me how they got the paperwork through and I was sitting there praying at the other end that it would go through. Benjani later said this wasn't true, debunking the myth that he fell asleep at the airport. It was a rush deal that City even tried to renegotiate after the player's medical, but the Premier League ruled it had gone through successfully and in time. City aren't such a last-minute operation these days. If they dip into the market in January, it's normally for a player they've had eyes on for a long time, like Edin Dzeko in 2011. I saw something else in, uh, in Manchester City. For me, it's a big club with a big ambition, and uh, I'm also an ambition player, and uh, I think we can have 
together a lot of success. It's, uh, I need to say, a very good team with a very, very good coach. And uh, I hear a lot uh, about the fans and uh, I hear also that uh, mostly the people from Manchester are Manchester City fans and uh, I like it. <laughs> Other strikers signed in the January window include Wilfred Bonny and Gabriel Jesus, though the Brazilians deal had actually been agreed the previous summer. The most recent January signing arrived four years ago as City broke their transfer record to bring in Imeric Laporte. Here he is speaking to 90 Minutes Football about working with Guardiola. He's very intense all the time. Uh, he's a guy, he knows everything about the football, he has a different uh, mentality of football and we are enjoying all the time on, in the pitch. You know, he has plainness all the time what we have to do. Obviously on the pitch we have to decide, but he's, he's always here. He, he keeps the, the team forward all, all the time. We won, we lose, it doesn't matter. He's always there and I think he, he changed everything. The defender arrived in January 2018 and City have done nothing in the mid-season transfer market since. By our count, there have been only three major signings made in the winter window in the last decade, so don't expect the club to open the checkbook over the next few days. Hello, my name is Gerard Beacons, a former player of Manchester City, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Dan Burke having a look at the players that have joined City in the uh, winter window. Um, Howard, I just want to uh, remind you of something that you said on uh, on the live podcast on Tuesday. What was it? What was it you said about uh, next year's Christmas quiz? And I'm not doing it. Yeah, um, so I just thought we'd do this. <laughs> it's a quiz on time. City's <laughs> January transfers. Sorry, mate, but you can't say that to me and dangle the carrot and then accept <laughs> to come on the next podcast. All right, well, if I promise to do the Christmas quiz, will you scrap this now? No, 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 you've, uh, you've made your bet. Let's, uh, let's have a Howard, what have you done? Can't do this. How would you I got- haven't got a memory, remember. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, here's how it's going to work. Six questions, uh, three each, all about players that have joined City in the January transfer window in years gone by. Um, Howard, as the man who does not want to do the quiz, I'll let you go first. Pick a number, one to six. <sighs> three. Number three. Which striker joined City from Qatari club Al Rayan in January 2007? Uh, I've only got one name. No, it, no, it can't be him. Uh, I, I, I think I know the answer. Pass no, it over, Howard. Pass. I, it doesn't go over, but uh, Adam, can no. you uh, can you fill us in? Mpenza. Uh, it is Emil Mpenza. <sighs> so, uh, Adam, can you take the lead? Pick a number, one to six. Uh, one. Number one. Uh, David Pizarro joined on loan in January 2012. Who did he score his only goal for City against? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it was in Europe, I think. Uh, sporting or... Sporting. Oh, he went for no. the Portuguese team. Wrong one. Porto. Oh, for God's sake. Right. I knew that. Wing and a miss. Howard, pick a number. I didn't, but I could say that. Cause <laughs> uh, what, what, is one still available? Uh, no, one's just gone. You, can, you can't Sorry. have the question that we've just had because you'll know the answer. <laughs> I'd still get it wrong. <laughs> two. Number two. Who turned down a move to City in summer 2016, only to change his mind and join 18 months later in January 2018? Ooh. Oh, uh, is it Laporte? It is Laporte. One that was up. easy. It was. Not the most difficult one, though. Okay, Adam, I almost said Delph, but then it, I realised there was a no. seven-day gap between yeah. his yeah. turn around it. <laughs> Good Six. 18 months in, uh, in Laporte's changing his mind. Delph, Delph, was, Delph flip-flopped over a period of hours. Yeah. Let's, Adam, let's go uh, six. Yeah, number six. Uh, on which ground did Felipe Caicedo, signed in January 2008 by Sven-Goran Eriksson, make his debut? Uh, oh, is this a trick question? Oh. I'm going to go the Etihad. 
It's a good idea, but it's not. He actually came on for Benjani in the uh, in the Old Trafford derby, derby where, uh, the derby. where yeah, where, right. where Benjani scored on his debut. Wow. Ah, uh, trick. Yeah, I thought you were tricking us there. No, nope. sorry about that. So, Howard, can you? Uh, you'll you'll win it if you get this one. You've got uh, four or five. Pressure here. Well, I mean, this is damning for Adam if I win this quiz. <laughs> uh, four, please. Number four. At twenty-eight million pounds, including add-ons, who became the most expensive African footballer when he joined City in a January transfer window? Oh, is it Wilfred Boney? It is Wilfred Boney. Ah, Your easy. questions have been ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been three out of three, and I'm stuck here on zero. Well, some some dignity here, uh, Adam, if you can get a late consolation with question number five. Uh, Daniel Van Byten joined City in the winter of 2004, and he played five times. Who were the only team City beat when he was in the team? Oh, come on. Are you joking? Are you actually kidding? <laughs> Oh, can, Howard, are you going to double or nothing here? And, if and you get think about it, easier questions. If you think about it, you know are the you answer. Are you actually kidding? If you think about it, you know the answer. I promise you. Ah, oh, I'm trying to think. When? When was it? If I think about it, the answer's easy. It wasn't United, was it? It was United. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There you go. I knew that he played, didn't know that we win, that we yeah. won, so there we go. There we go. It was the, uh, the first uh, City Manchester Stadium derby. Oh, there we go. Happy days. Still lost. Still, so. Yeah, still, still lost. 2-1 to Howard. Congratulations, Howard. Well done. You don't have to do the Christmas quiz now. Thank you. <laughs> you see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to StatCity.co.uk and browse away. That's StatCity.co.uk Is the Blue Moon Podcast. Sorry about that, Adam. Just had to do that. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm just devastated that I picked the wrong <laughs> numbers. So. Yeah, you did Never get mind. a look with those choices, did you? So. There we go. Never mind. Yeah, so uh, now that the uh, the quiz is done and dusted, uh, we always talk about the best and the worst. So I thought it would be a good idea to uh, have a bit of fun with uh, with this and try and work out who City's worst signing of our lifetimes was. Um, we're not restricting this to what this one to the January window. This can be from any time. Uh, but there are, I, I did put in a few criteria for the people that we asked on Twitter. They must have played about twenty games, so no mystery unknowns that have uh, that have not played. Uh, they must have commanded a fee, so I don't want any Bosmans that didn't work out because that's that seems they seem particularly particularly harsh if you've got a player for free and you then say that they're the worst transfer that you've made it's particularly damning um and expectations i think must have been uh, fairly high so no players where where fans had reservations that sort of thing um what what are your gut instincts to start with howard what what who would you go to as uh, as one of the worst yeah giving this a bit of thought i've got to i'm torn between the big money ones and the ones that say were a few million in the old days which for city was still Big money at the time. Big money and probably more damning financially for the club than wasting forty million now. My first thought is immediately Bradbury. So yeah. and I don't know where to go from there. And then the modern one has to be Mangala. So I'm kind of weighing those two up basically. Yeah. Uh, Adam, are you in the are you in the same place with, with this? Yeah, yeah. I think logic would say Bradbury is because of the the financial situation was probably one. Mangala, but I'd probably put Boney in there as well. Um, and that might be harsh, but yeah, I'd probably put Boney in there with uh, with Mangala of yeah. the modern I mean, day. Mangala, and, and, he did play a few games, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He did get some games out of him. They just, yeah, it went downhill very just quickly. Went very good. I think the other one um, that I always, I don't forget because he always comes up in these lists is Santa Cruz. Um, mm. because he was Mark Hughes's big signing and he was terrible. He played like 20 games. Yeah. Well, he, he was injured a lot, and but when he did play, he was pretty bad. And Hughes made a massive gamble bringing him in for, what, 20 million quid. It was the first time we had the money. And uh, it didn't go very well, did it? Yeah. Joe? What about Joe? Howard? 
Yeah, yeah. definitely up there. And it's just weird, like, years after leaving City, he was back in the Brazil side, was he not? And it's just like, <laughs> what on earth's going on? It just, yeah. It, I think uh, all these, maybe not Mangala, who are just like, Bode, I still thought, like, well, he was the top scorer in the Premier League the previous calendar year. So yeah. I convinced myself that it was a canny signing by City because it gave us options. There's still an opinion piece of mine from when I was writing for ESPN that said uh, that the signing of Wilfred, uh, it's still online, the signing of Wilfred Bonney uh, is the thing that tips the title race into City's favour that season. Um, and as if you might remember, when City signed him, they were neck and neck with Chelsea. By the end of the season, they were about 15 points behind. <laughs> <laughs> But Joe's definitely up there. Don't, what was he about twenty million? I think. Yeah, something in it was like nineteen and a half, twenty million, something in the region of that. Yeah, uh, I guess was it before the just before the takeover though, or? Uh, yeah, it was. I think so. It, but either it was way, that, it, it was that spell just yeah. before. Yeah. Either way, you kind of forget that because well, we then had loads of money, so it didn't matter. But yeah, he's. I mean, he's played a lot fewer games, I think, than Bradbury and Boney. So he is right up there, definitely, but still hung around for quite a while a bit. Uh, we loaned him at Everton, did we not? Galatasaray everywhere. He's got to be probably in the in the top five, definitely, of disastrous signings. I'd put yeah. him ahead of Santa Cruz, in fact. Uh, Santa yeah, Cruz was just stupid because we knew he was injury prone. I mean, it's not as if we could see that one coming from a mile off. I think he could have been a success. Relative success if he'd stayed fit the whole time. Whereas Joe just did not work immediately. Yeah. Just, yeah, just did. I don't know the lifestyle, everything else. It just didn't work. Yeah. Didn't make yeah. sense. Well, uh, some suggestions from Twitter. Niall says, uh, probably not the worst pound for pound, but worth a mention is Santa Cruz. Uh, we'd got money, we'd just got money, and he was clearly the Hughes signing among non Hughes signings. Uh, now the fee doesn't seem too high, but at the time, we'd not spent 18 million casually on a third choice striker before. He did now. Joe was probably worse, but he did all right in the 2010 11 season, and expectations changed about a month after he signed. Bradbury is probably the worst in terms of hitting all the criteria, but in 97 98 was a shambles. That fee, though, 3 million in 1997. Uh, Kalmami Usama says uh, £42 million for Eliakim Mangala at a time when we were in hopeless need of a class defender to build around the back line. Ended up making only 79 appearances before disappearing to Valencia. Uh, Jake says Mangala, the fact that we also ploughed that cash into him, which meant we didn't move for Sanchez and shipped out Nastasic. Uh, Francis Foles goes for Lee Bradbury when £3 million really was £3 million. He actually wrote it down as Lee Bad Buy, but I corrected that. Um, <laughs> Paulinho uh, says it has to be Bradbury, uh, considering the the state were in at the time and he was our all-time record signing at the time. Uh, Ender Byrne throws in uh, Matthias Furoso who was three and a half million in 2002 but he never played for the first team. Uh, he also says John Mackin for five million in 2002 which I, I think is a bit harsh Adam. Yeah. You know why? Because yeah. I went to that you know when Preston beat us 2-1 and he scored and he from the halfway line yeah. and it was chucking it down and that was the time when you had a good game against City City signed you <laughs> it was just like yeah, it only took one game, like uh, Bob Taylor or whatever. It's just like, yeah, if you play well against City, it's, you're kind of in the shot window here every time you play them. They'll probably splash a few million pounds on you. He, of course, he scored. Yeah, sorry, I'll leave it to... Uh, he's probably paid it back for one goal anyway, but I'll, I'll leave it to Adam. Yeah. No, no, 100%. Uh, he he gets a pass just for the, the Spurs goal. So Yeah, he's, he's been involved in an iconic City moment. I don't think I don't think the worst ever signing for a club can be involved in an iconic moment, can they? I think that's how it, how it has to work. Um, Mark Simmons suggests Bradbury and Veroso. At least we got 25% back for. Mangala and Macken did 50 games. Therefore, it must be Joe or Santa Cruz. 19 million and 17 million for 20 appearances and hardly anything when sold on. Uh, ben M says, it's harsh to mention Veroso when he never got a game. Uh, between Boney and Santa Cruz for me, I would also mention Wayne Bridge. Wayne Bridge, Howard. Yeah, no, he's he's. Well, thing is, he is quite a good footballer. So yeah, he well, was our Trippier, wasn't he? Trippier yeah, against Newcastle know. was very Wainbridge to see. Yeah, I don't know. I, a disappointment, absolutely, and I'm, I'm never sure why. Yeah, uh, could have been a lot better, definitely. But I don't think he reaches the top of the list considering <laughs> some of the names that have already been read out. Yeah, this this one, Adam. I um, I, I think I, I think this one is really harsh. Uh, Luke Osborne says, "Javi Garcia, title defense season was meant to be a replacement Ooh. for Nigel De Jong and looked well out of place in the team. But uh, by the by the second season under Pellegrini, he was he was good in that team. 
Yeah, and he was absolutely gorgeous as well, wasn't he? So that I mean, goes that, for that him. Helps. Yeah, but I mean, didn't help Santa um, Cruz in this this discussion. So. <laughs> yeah. No, it didn't. You can't I use think... that when you've let Santa Cruz go by. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Um, I think with Javi Garcia, he, br- he was brought in to replace De Jong, which is tough. But if you're gonna if you're gonna throw Garcia in, let's throw Scott Sinclair in, Jack Rodwell, just another signing that was to replace someone, and we got it all wrong. Having won the league, that was yeah. City's downfall, wasn't it? For a few seasons, where you win the league, you don't replace properly, and then you sign someone who's just not as good. Um, but I, I quite liked Garcia, and I'd put him in that bracket with Fernando. And but Fernando's gone on to now be back in the Brazil side and uh, be one of the better holding midfielders in Europe. So what do we know? Yeah, exactly. Can, can I put Nolito on for slugging that he managed to climb off <laughs> and then going back to Spain? Well, what, did he get more headbutts than goals in the City team? <laughs> yeah. He got yeah. away with one in one yeah, match. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul Ferris suggests uh, Jerry Creaney for Paul Walsh and Cash, uh, which is... Great show. Yeah. It's a horrid transfer, that one. Uh, And Man City Tactics says it's difficult to order them. So Greeny, Bradbury, Veroso, Joe, and Bravo. Claudio Bravo not getting a mention until the very end, Howard. Wow. God, we've had some terrible transfers. (laughs) Um, I assume any club podcast could probably sit down and name 200 because obviously every club's got a long, long list of things that have gone wrong. Bravo. I've just thought of a couple more as well. He's got to be up there. T- yeah, T-Rex hands Bravo. It's just like, it's, we- it's weird because his, his stature was big. Yeah, it, it seemed a bargain at the time. And yet, and yet when know. he was in the goal, his stature was tiny. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, what, was it his debut? Least... The, was it the Manchester Derby, the debut? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it yeah, just well, seemed forgot. perfectly, didn't it? So. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, though, he did win us a few penalty shootouts that, got us through Carabao Cup times. True. So, mm. I mean, at the same time, he was good at penalty shootouts, but he was terrible otherwise. Yeah. I'll give you, him that. You um, said you mentioned, you thought of a couple of others, Adam, as well. Yeah, Christian Nagui. Good. Ah, that's mm. Cult hero. Cult hero for me, Christian Nagui. Yeah. What, for the red card? Well, fastest ever Premier League red card. Um, yeah. He punched I the mean, ball in the net good. against Rotherham. Yes, he did. And he, did he not... Um, he came on against Arsenal in the League Cup and then just sub- sub- subbed himself off after City had had um, used all three yes. subs to just walk down the tunnel. Nobody knew where he'd gone. Uh, that was a, yeah. Scored at TNS. As scored well, at TNS. What is, more yeah, can okay. you like? He only played like fifteen games. What more can you ask for? This is action packed. Right. Okay. We can have him. What about <laughs> Lauren Charvet? Charvet. Yes, I will. Um, I, I still, mm. I still hold it against Alan Shearer that when Charvet signed, uh, he said that uh, City had signed a real athlete, and I just wondered who this was. It wasn't <laughs> wasn't the player that was running up and down the wing, was it? And the the final one that I'll throw in is another a bit like the the uh, Paul Walsh plus cash, plus cash one. What about George Weir? No, another another no iconic iconic moment. I know iconic, but we were paying him something like thirty-five grand a week in '99, which is that was a lot of. And to be fair, he did just leave and and say, oh, "You're not playing me. I'm got. I'm gonna go." Right? Okay. Bye. Well, he, yeah, he alleged um, that uh, that Joe Royal told him to. I think the quote was "Shut up and fuck off." And I'm thinking, if there's any City <laughs> manager that 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 said that, I can re- I can imagine it being Big Joe. You know, <laughs> what and, was his iconic moment? Was it? Injuring Dennis Irwin in his testimonial. He sco- yeah, he scored at Anfield <laughs> as well. Scored three against Gillingham. Yeah, yeah. What more can you ask for? <laughs> okay, but um, he he was also the reason that Joe Royal said, oh, um, he said something along the lines of, these these are huge signings. These are not about us trying to stay up this season. Of course, we then got relegated. Um, <laughs> but he was like the catalyst for, oh, look at our shiny new star. Nope, dead, yeah. relegated. Okay. Can I just add one? Yeah, uh, go for it. Not the most disastrous, but for disappointing, I put, I don't know if it's Stefan or Stefan, Stefan Jovetic, because I was absolutely convinced yeah. he was going to be a world star when he came to us. And he just kind of, yeah, flitted about, uh, more known for his clothing, fashion sense on Instagram, really, and then just left again. So, But I can't remember if we got he much really money good. back, to be honest. Yeah, he yeah really, but just, really good, I, didn't I expected so much more from him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what about Jerome Boateng? Nah. <laughs> yeah, sound, yeah, I'd say uh, another g- g- iconic. Dis- yeah, disappoint. No, disappointing for City, wasn't he? But then went on well, to yeah, have a, ten, a pretty decent 10 million career. Quid, part of that 
just the best signing photo of all time with Silvatore and Kolarov. Um, <laughs> oh, the, we the, signed Sven, the, Sven, the Sven one with Alano, Choluka and uh, about yeah. 10 others is pushing that one though. That's good. But then didn't he get injured by an air hostess on a <laughs> yeah. flight, like pushed a drinks trolley into him and then he didn't play for us again. True. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, they've, they've, there have been a fair few. Yeah. Some good so. shouts there. Let us know if we've if we've missed yours at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. You can email us as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, but now we're going to move on. And while Manchester City got a lot wrong in the late 90s on the pitch, they were at least doing a few things right away from it. One area where the club were always given a lot of credit in years gone by was for their youth setup. In 2001, Kevin Keegan gave a debut to a young player who would only go on to feature a handful of times for City, but he would have a solid career in the Football League. Chris Shuker joined Main Road in 1999 as a teenager, and I've been speaking to him this week to find out what it was like coming through the ranks at that time. I got spotted by City and Evan at the same time and I went into both and, and I, I ended up choosing um, just before I'd signed for City I was on trial at City we played against Liverpool and then um, they wanted to sign they wanted they rang me on the uh, the game was on the Saturday Liverpool rang me on the Tuesday obviously I was a Liverpool fan as a kid 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 um, and they rang and they said do, do you want to and I I've been told I was signing City on the Friday and I said, um, no, I said I'm going to stay with the City. I love it that much. So stay with City. It was a, uh, still, people say, oh, you wish you'd sign Liverpool. I was like, absolutely not. No. I said, I'll, I made the right decision. What What was the academy like at the time? Um, because it was, it, it's a very different academy set up in, in the Premier League in those days to what it is now. Well, we just, we'd actually just gone it. We were the first year of the academy. So it was the first year of no YTS, no we didn't have to, like all the boot cleaning got scrapped, all that type of stuff, which I don't think was a bad thing, you know. But it, it was it was the first year of the change, so obviously a transition. Um, I didn't see anything. Obviously, I was new to it really, so I don't know what it was like before or or what. So it was it was great the way it worked for me, like and, and the lads, especially with the scholarship, give an extra year because the, the three year scholarship gives you that little bit of security, I think, as well to to develop. Yeah, so what, I mean, at the start of that Division 1 season, um, how, how much how much interaction had you had with Kevin Keegan? Had he told you that you were going to be in and around the first team or was it a little bit of a surprise when you when you started making the bench, that sort of thing? Yeah, no, he hadn't He hadn't told. Obviously, you're just, you're just training and working hard and then he's, he's pulling you to the side and might say the odd thing or he might just say the odd thing in passing. And you sort of take it with a pinch of salt. I do anyway. I, I would take it as a pinch of salt and just think, right, whatever he says to me now, mate, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm, I'm trying to get to and trying to achieve um, and and cracked on with that and obviously eventually luckily for me it didn't happen much but I did I did end up getting around it and, and being amongst it quite regularly I was going to say your your City debut came uh, on it was on September the 11th 2001 um, against Notts County was, was there any doubts that uh, because of what had happened in America that that game wasn't going to go ahead uh, yeah, there was. Yeah, we we were in the hotel in Nottingham, and obviously then we're we're in standing like a, we had the lunch when we got there, and then go for to the rooms, and then this like terrible disasters happening, and they were saying about like it, it might not be going ahead. Now, it's, it's it was an unbelievable thing. You, you know, you, we, none of us could believe it at all. But the the game ended up going ahead, and and luckily for me, I got a debut and ended up. Scoring, which was my dream, so it was like a bit of a crazy day for me, really. When when did you find out that you were in the team for that day? Oh, I was. I we, we got the squad the day before, and then we travelled. So I was like, "Oh my god, I'm in the squad!" This stuff is like unbelievable. And then um, I think it was, I think it was in the first. It was the first half. I think I come on. I th- yeah, I think I Berkowitz got injured or something, so I come on uh, first half. I was only I think only on four minutes and scored. So, that, like, I don't know if you've seen the goal. I, I still have it on me. Someone sent to me on Instagram, like, last year. And I asked on the celebration. <laughs> I actually don't know. I think I'm in shock. I'm, like, putting my hands on my head, like, like what's just happened here? Especially with it being a header as well. They didn't used to happen quite often. Well, I was going to say, you, uh, you you weren't uh, you weren't the tallest of players. Where, where, did it, uh, where, did, where did that goal come from? What, what do you remember of it? I remember, I literally just remember thinking, I'm... I'm going to go on and enjoy myself. That was my main thing. And then I was near the edge of the box. The ball got rolled back to someone. And I made. I used to make like runs across people just to just in case anything happened. That's a, I was like sort of an opportunist type 
So I made the run across and Simon Colossal's cross wasn't the best. So it obviously was going to hit the front man's foot. And, and luckily my head was just about that height. So, and the flicking and grunting, just, I thought I'll just glance this towards the far post somewhere. It was actually a shot. And I thought I'll, I'll just flick this towards the far post because that's door I could do really. And then it ended up looping straight in the top corner. Do you, when, when obviously uh, you were on the bench to, to start with for that game, um, when, because the substitution came quite early, were, were, you, were you kind of, did you not have time to get nervous or anything like that? No, and I'm not really a nervous kind anyway. I'm more like um, just for enjoyment. So the nerves never used to get me really. Um, and yeah, it, it obviously getting on, I, I didn't think I'd even get on, to be honest. I was like, I'll probably just come... As a kid, sometimes you, when you travel with the first team, sit on certain until you've been on the pitch. Most of the time, it's like I've come for the ride, sort of thing to get a bit of experience. And I remember Goldson and Huckabee and stuff speaking to me in the changing room and Dickov and they say, you know, you, you've you've done really well to be here and stuff. And you're thinking, well, well, that's the step. I've done well to be here. That'll be this step for this week, and then maybe next week you'll go again, and then you might. So so to get on, I was I was absolutely over the moon there. Now you mentioned uh, Darren Huckerby there, uh, Sean Gota. There was uh, there was Paolo Wanchop around the, the the first team at the time. Um, uh, what what was it like to 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 kind of be training with these sorts of players? On top draw, they were, I'd seen Huckerby when I was a kid. He was obviously quite young when he came on the scene at like Coventry and stuff. And um, it, it, yeah, they, they were they were good players. You know, back back in the day at that level, um, they're, they're amazing players. So to be amongst them was um, was I used to listen to them that take on board. Obviously, my good mate Sean, like Phillips, was in the squad. He got in a bit earlier. So he used to, he'd sort of primed everyone really because he'd had like a bit more of a taste of it and stuff. So yeah, it was um, it was amazing. Yeah, the, uh, did you find it difficult at that same time though? Because obviously, with with so many forward players in in a Keegan, t- I mean Keegan was known for wanting to get forwards into the team, but there's there's only so many forwards you can get into a team. Yeah. People people say, oh, it must have been that hard in them days because they didn't have the money to spend. I think I think Keegan spent about fifty million on forwards, and like back in that in that time, you know what I mean? Yeah, and Elka was thirteen million, and there was there was like some right money and players coming in. So you find it hard. You think you take a step up the ladder, and then they, and then you bring someone else in, and that puts you back down the ladder. Because soon as you paid five million or something for someone, John Macken or whatever, you're straight back down the ladder, and then you. You're going again, but I never really see myself. I see myself as more as a winger in, in the reserves and youth team. But Keegan would only would, would you say I only see it as a, like a number ten. So that's that's why I played in them um, positions for keep for, for the first team. I never used to play in them in anywhere else except for the first team. Yeah, um, I want to take you to the start of the next season because obviously City were promoted um, in that uh, in that year. Did you think when City went up to the Premier League, did you think that that you it was going to be even harder to get into the team at that point? Yeah, you think it's even harder, but that, but I'm like looking at the progression and stuff I've been on and the things the manager was saying. Um, they quite they were quite positive, really. So I I wasn't think there was no negativity coming in thinking oh, I've got no chance now or anything. It was like. Um, he, he's these are the things he's saying. Let's let's take another pinch of salt, as I said before, and keep working hard and and um, keep pushing to where we want to get to. Yeah. So, what what was the difference for you between um, uh, Division One and the Premier League? Because uh, you you came off the bench a couple of times in Division One. You then did a, against Leeds on the opening day of the season. What what, what was the was there a huge difference there? Well, I'd, I'd had a I'd had a good preseason, so I played a lot of games that preseason. Um, I think I scored. I'd scored six in preseason, and I was like literally full of confidence. I was, I was, I actually, I actually thought I was going to start the first game of the season. Um, I was actually, funny enough, I was actually disappointed not to start the first game of the season because I had a, had a good preseason. Um, but you know, then as soon as he's named the team and I'm not in it, then uh, so I, I thought, well, okay, I'm on the bench. If I, if I come on, I've, I've my view was I have to make an impact. It annoys me these days in this area when young lads come on the pitches and they're getting it and passing it sideways and they only get limited chances. They have to go make an impact. Um, so my view was, like I did in the first game against Notts County, I luckily got ahead and scored. 
I have to go on and make an impact. It was, I think we were 2 0 down at the time when I come on. Um, but yeah, fantastic experience. I, did, I got one shot off. Um, Paul Robinson saved the near post on targets, which so I'm thinking, right, okay. And another one come back to me and I tried to whip it for the far corner and got it wrong and it went into the, over the, well over the bar, which annoyed myself. But yeah, it was, an, it was an amazing experience. And then having that little taste of, of being on the pitch in the Premier League, then it's like, we need to, we need to kick on and keep trying, keep, keep getting more of these moments to make them impacts. Yeah, well, I was going to say then Blackburn came a few weeks later. Um, what? When did Keegan tell you we're going to be starting that game? Joe, literally on the day. Me and Mikel Bischoff were both in the squad, and then he, we were like newer in the squad. Obviously, again, Sean had been around the squad for ages at that point and played the whole season, so he was like a regular. But me and Mikel Bischoff were in the squad, and then he named the team. We're both starting. Yeah, when you look back at your at your time at City, um, is there anything that you that you think you could have done differently, or you wished you'd done differently? No, I I, I don't. Um, well, Blackburn at home, I could have uh, when I lobbed the keeper, Brad Fried will come out and it landed on top of the net. I could have took a little bit off that and had a change. And the first half, one an Elka squared one, and I went to side foot it, and I and I, I never would have side foot it in training. I would have just. I would have just gone straight through it, you know what I mean? And I went to side foot it and it slides off your foot and ends up going. But then things happen. They happen every game now, you know what I mean? But as a young lad, like I said to you before, um, you you have to you have to make that impact. Now, if an elk had done that, it's not even looked at. It's like, oh, like, oh, lucky Nick, you know, we've got no but with with me, it was like my first start. You have to make that impact. And I, if if one of them goes in my city career could have been a whole lot different, but it didn't. So I don't dwell on it. It is what it is. Yeah. And uh, just finally as well, I mean, obviously uh, you mentioned growing up, you were a Liverpool fan. Uh, city and Liverpool have been uh, going head to head for the last few of, years. I'm full well, city now, don't worry. I was going to I ask, have, did, did your, has your experience of being at Main Road changed where, you, where yeah, you're absolutely. at? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm like a full city. Like, yeah, city's my team, my little girl sports city. And yeah, so I... I Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. What, what do you mate? What do you mates from growing up? I'll, uh, I'll say about that now. Oh, uh, give it. Oh, I played for City. Did we? I say, like, yeah, you support Liverpool, but you didn't ever play for them. So keep your zip show. You just chose them. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Chris Shuka speaking to me about his time at City. Patreon backers can now hear the full-length version of that interview as well, and it will be available for everyone else at the end of the season. Uh, we're going to finish with uh, listener questions. Get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Colin James has been in touch on Twitter to say, City's record in Saturday tea time games is poor. Last season, I think they dropped points in four out of seven games in that time uh, three of our next four are Saturday tea time games does this concern you um, now before we get into whether it concerns you or not I did uh, run the uh, I did go back through the fixtures and, and have a look at, uh, at the record uh, for 530 kickoffs on a Saturday this season so far it's played three one two drawn one so they're actually unbeaten at, on uh, Saturday tea times at the moment this season uh, since the start of last season though the the, uh, the, the the record gets a little bit worse it's played 10 one five drawn three lost two so it goes down to about 50 percent win um, and then since the start, but it's. I think it's the. I think that last season is being skewed by uh, by the first half of the season because since the start of twenty twenty one, when that winning run started at Chelsea, uh, it's played six one four drawn one. So they're, they're doing all right, Adam. It, it, it doesn't feel like a, a particularly problematic kickoff time for City this one. No, uh, it's usually the away twelve thirties that I don't like. Um, but no, I. I mean, I. The dream kickoff time is five thirty on a Saturday for me. So um, I've never really thought about it as problematic. I don't think um, it's it's the greatest kickoff time. We've got Spurs at home on a Saturday at five thirty, which is magnificent. <laughs> um, so I, I'm all for Saturday five thirty. So nobody could say anything that would change my mind. To be honest, we could lose most games, and I'd still love them. Excellent. I, th- I think it's a small sample size, but you'd have to analyse who they've played, to be honest. Yeah. Because... They're always going to be better games as well, I'd imagine. Well, yeah. yeah in my first thought, was, they might just be the toughest games, but then I realised we've got Southampton, we've got Norwich. It's not always that way. But who knows? They might, again, you hinted at it already, David, 
some of them might have been like the early start, early part of the season. In the last two seasons, we've not had a pre-season and struggled early doors. You've, you'd have to delve really <laughs> deep into it to know if there was some psychological problem with the players. Because players do love a routine, don't they? And having fixtures all over the place. The, yeah, the, the one thing we try to do with. is not give them a routine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in my head, like, I don't know, I, in my head, I think half 12 ones are where City are worse. I don't know why I think that, but I always get very nervous with early kickoffs on a Saturday. We did it on the podcast a few years ago because uh, Guardiola said um, that he hates he hates Monday night games, um, and there's he said there's something about having having to wait the whole weekend. You've watched everybody else do what mm. they need to do, and then you've got your game on a Monday night. And then I had a look at City's record under him on a Monday night, and they just kept losing Monday night games. So I wonder if Monday nights are the worst ones, Adam. Well, that, that's worrying because we've just had one announced for Monday night. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's Palace away, which, as Mike on Twitter said, it's easier to get to Kiev than Palace on a Monday. So <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure Pep will be delighted about yeah. that. Yeah. Right, well, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. Thanks also to my guests for this week, Howard Hawking. Absolute pleasure. And Adam Keyworth. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, if you'd like a little bit more Blue Moon Podcast, then you could sign up to our Patreon. Every Monday, there's a bonus show for backers, and there's a whole back catalogue of shows from this season to listen to. Last Monday was the City Heaven, City Hell, where me, a City fan and an opposition fan, reflect on four games between the two sides, too good and too bad. It was with City fan Alan Phoenix-Bates and Fulham fan Sammy James. Here's a little taster of this week's show. It's the first, first game I busked. I decided as part of my shtick, are we going to do a guest slot thing? So take someone who's associated with Fulham and sing a song of theirs. So I did a farcically bad cover of Not Fair by Lily Allen, which was <laughs> to utter deserved indifference. <laughs> so I dropped that idea quite quickly. And the, Anyway, the heavens opened at that point. So there I was with the ukulele. Everyone ran for cover. And I was just stuck on me little blue dot sponsored by Umbro, getting wetter and wetter by the second. So I was fairly wretched before the game to start off with. Now, the thing was, City, I was full of optimism, though, because City had got a 100% home record at that point. Second half started, Bobby Zamora misses an absolute sitter, rewrote the books of physics in the process. <laughs> so how, he, how, how he got that over the bar, I will never know. He and did then, that a few times, Bobby. <laughs> yes, yeah. apparently it's one of his party tricks, isn't it? Very much. So this this could be even more of a hell game for me if that had not done if he'd not done that. Anyway, next ten minutes we're all city, you know, bit scrappy the goal, and uh, Roy wasn't pleased about it, but Les got managed to get it in from a corner with this mad mad scramble. Now Petrov's goal was a lot more cultured. And um, so I'm sat there thinking, right, three points in the bag, and I'm taking all the credit with this superb display of musicianship that's obviously moved the team on. <laughs> so pride comes before a fall. Damien Duff, who I always think could do a great prof Emmett Brown, he scored from what, to be fair, was a, a nice piece of work. Then up pops Clint Dempsey. I felt weirdly responsible. I busked several games consecutively after that, and it was draw after draw after draw. And I started thinking, is this me? That was a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. It's out now if you want to hear the full thing. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast and become a backer for £2 per month. You'll also get a new extra show each week for that price, and you'll get the main show without the adverts as well. All the details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I'll be back next week to look ahead to the FA Cup tie with Fulham and the home game with Brentford. So I'll see you then. (laughs) 